Welcome to the Mike Abadir Show. You'll want to sit tight this hour as hosts Mike Abadir and co-host Gino Bacola talk to the experts, celebrities, and figures from the worlds of sports and business of sports. We cover the NFL, baseball, basketball, soccer, and horse racing, so we have all of the bases covered. Now, we just need your participation. Here is your host, Mike Abadir. October 25th here in Mike Abadir Show Land. We are the epicenter of sports with basketball, baseball, football, college football, NHL, everything going on right now. But our focus, of course, in the World Series. My Dodgers down 0-2, heading home. A day off today on Thursday. Got to get back at it and try to get a Game 3 victory. Otherwise, Mike, as we've seen in baseball, very rarely can you come down from an 0-3. That difference between being down 2-0 to being down 3-0 just seems like so much more than one game. Definitely huge. Just based on the numbers, if you've got a 2-0 lead, that's yielded an 80% victory for the team with the 2-0 lead, including 10 in a row. Uh, there's only been five comebacks in the last 40 years where a team that's been down from a 2-0 deficit um, and come back to win the World Series. With 1981, that said, 1981, the Dodgers, they, the when they Dodgers, were down 0-2, and they came hey, back, maybe they and they won four straight in, to yep, beat the Maybe Yankees. they still have that spirit in, 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 their, in their DNA. Um, I think the things that are in the Dodgers' favor, obviously, are that they're going back home for three. It was really cold, you know, uh, first World Series for... Uh, yeah, the park, which for, a lot of people mentioned, too. Yeah, you know. first, first time in Fenway, you know, first time World Series, you know, in, in that environment, I think. Astros in Houston, a little bit different. You know what I mean? So even though they had that one playoff or World Series appearance under their belt, I think it was definitely an eye-opening experience that you're not going to get anywhere except for Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park. That's true. Historic. You know, you being a Dodger fan that you are. Wrigley, Wrigley maybe. Maybe, you know what I mean? Wrigley, kind of like a, just sure. a histor- from a historic sense, you know? Yeah, exactly. So being the avid, diehard Dodger fan that you are, if you were to kind of maybe – it's easy to say two out uh, RBIs and things of that nature, but is there one thing in particular that you, you you look back and say, I wish they or Dave Roberts would have handled or done differently? Is there anything like that so far, or is it just yeah, I, good old baseball? You know, Red Sox are hot. Dodgers haven't really found their hitting the way we know them to no. hit, like in the regular season. And honestly, really, all playoffs, to be honest with you, even though they they've won, they, they have been the machine, the home run hitting machine, right? Hundred percent. It's like I'm. And that's what's such what makes this so difficult for me as a fan of this team and as someone who gambles and an analyst and this and that, because this team is very difficult to read, this Dodger team, because all year they've underachieved all year. You know, they've been a team that didn't play with a lot of urgency, but they've got the job done. Did they do it a lot of the times against teams that were inferior to Boston? 100 percent. But you never know if that really matters because I think the Dodgers are the type of team that play up to their competition and then down to their competition. As we saw, when they needed to win games and series against the Rockies and the D-backs and the teams to get in, they would do that. And then they'd lose to the Reds, you know, or in the, in the Mets and the, and, and the teams like that. So this team has just been very inconsistent. That's what's been hard for me to put my finger on with them because even with their inconsistency, they've still been good enough to get up for three or four games and win a series. And even if they're not necessarily playing at their peak in baseball, there are so many different variables. You know, you can not play well and win, or you could play very well and lose. So for me, I think what's been the most frustrating is that I think 
Both of these teams have another level to go. I think Boston offensively can even play better than they've been. They've been hitting great with two outs and with runners in scoring position, but they haven't necessarily been stringing together four or five hits. It's a lot of the time been a Dodger mistake that then Boston capitalized on. So what I'd like to see is just cleaner baseball from the Dodgers. No mistakes, no errors. You don't have to play great. I I just like to see a game where they score four or five runs and not make mistakes and see if that's good enough to beat Boston. Because I'm hoping that Boston's bullpen is not just going to be perfect from here on out. Look, so far, the Boston bullpen has allowed one run. If if it continues anything close to that, this is going to be a four-game sweep. Yeah, one run in eight, in, eight, eight innings. So they've done their job. The starting pitchers have done their job. I mean, job. more they've than been their excellent. job. You know, the, yeah, the I mean, here, here's the thing. Uh, one of the, I, I remember you making a comment. I don't remember if it was before last series or the series before that. But you said... You know, your confidence is, is borderline cocky with this team. And let me tell you something. I've always been the type that doesn't want to jinx my favorite team. For those who don't know, I'm a big Red, big-time Red Sox fan. I don't want to ever jinx my team. So I never really try to speak too soon or anything like that. This is the first season. And you remember even from last year's playoffs and stuff, I was worried. I was worried about the Astros. I was worried about their matchups. I gave them slight leans uh, at times. But I didn't have this kind of confidence. And one of the reasons is because I think their perceived weaknesses are not weaknesses. People talk about their bullpens. Because I follow the team, I know that some of those guys had higher than they should ERAs because of like maybe literally two outings in a three-month span. And you oh, know when how I say that, when I say that about Kershaw, you don't really like it when I play that game, though. Huh? Well, you don't really, no, you don't really like I, it we'll when I play that game. Kershaw Kershaw too. Oh, no, no but we'll get into Kershaw too because I, know, I'm just, I think it's it, that's a different animal in of itself. I'm talking about as a unit, as a bullpen. You know, I saw a lot of games where they're up eleven to three, and they gave up a, a meaningless three-run home run, right? Sure. That type of thing. So sure. coming into these series, I'm like, you know, once once it's playoff baseball, I don't think that they're going to have as many whole glaring holes as people think. But the bottom line really is they're hitting, right? M- remember my text the other day? I'm like, the Dodgers have to average five runs a game in order to win the series, uh, and I really stand by that. I mean, I don't I don't think that they're going to win any games where they're not scoring five runs. I just don't I mean, see it in this series. But, but again, it's, it's, it's easy to say that because that's happened. But then you look back in yesterday, and I, I'm going to bring in specific examples. Like in the game game two when they lost, it's 2-1 when Ryu comes out. Ryu got really rattled in that last at bat. I mean, I don't, whatever was going on with him and Barnes, they just were not on the same page. And then that's, that was the bat that, that he walked Benetton. Are you talking about which, the sequence where, where, where they, he, he kept coming he off the Benetton, mound? And, yeah. And yeah, and timeouts, kept, a lot of timeouts. Out. Of- it was like, they just were off. I don't know if it was the language or whatever it was. They just could not. I mean, I never seen somebody shake off five signs in a row like he did at Smoltz one point. Smoltz almost made it seem like he, that, that Dave Roberts was no, wanting well, to make sure that they got it right and that almost yeah. like he was involved in that somehow. But It, it was kind of because then when they pointed it out, Dave Roberts kind of called timeout and told Austin Barnes to go talk to him. He's like, go talk to him. I just want to make sure you guys are on the right page and you throw the same pitch. So Ryu was getting a little rattled, and I do give Ben Attendee credit. That was a great at-bat. I mean, that was that was more on Ben Attendee. The one that frustrates me is that then the next guy comes in. It's supposed to be your lockdown bullpen guy, Ryan Madsen, who in the NLCS and the NLDS came into these exact spots for the Dodgers and got out of them. He needed one out. And you know what? Thing, I don't know if you yesterday. agree with this or not. I think they've overused him to the point yeah, no, where and that's, that's, either that's your opponents are going to be able to dissect it and, and, and figure out how to beat you. Or it's just, 
the more and, and we talk about this all the time with the way that baseball has changed in both games. Me personally, especially in a seven game series where I think that I think that the talent perspective and probably in both the pitching staff and the lineups, Boston is more top heavy. But I do think that the depth is definitely with the Dodgers in both pitching and hitting and just from like a top to bottom lineup guys on the bench that can come in and give you good swings versus Boston. Their top three or four is probably better than any one of the Dodgers players are right now. I think that's probably safe to say, but you know, I, I just, I would have loved to see them let Kershaw or Ryu get an opportunity to maybe get themselves out of that because that's the strength that the Dodgers need to play into is try to use your starting pitchers a little bit longer, get into Boston's bullpen a little bit earlier. That That's where they were able to kind of string out the win against Milwaukee by just wearing them down. And I, I would have loved to see after last night when Madsen struggled to give Ryu the shot, maybe. Or, or you know what? Who's the one guy, Mike, that, that you keep talking about who's been awesome, that I've been talking about who's been awesome? How about this number? 0 for 31 on, on game one. He was 0 for his last 31 against left-handed batters, and they take Pedro Baez out of the game to bring in Wood, and then Wood gives up a home run in a game that's 5-4 and, and just changes the whole game. You know, so it's so funny that like right now, 100%, I will say that Cora is out managing Dave Roberts and it's because all the moves that he makes are working out. And that's what, that's what a good manager is, right? You make a move and they work out. Your players reward you. If your well, players let's don't talk reward about, you, let's talk they're about a bad those manager. Moves. So let's talk about those moves. What do you think about all this lineup shuffle with, with, with the Dodgers? Does it get to a point where it's like, Seven hey, it's, is a, fine. it's a cold day and, and, you, and you're having me come, on, come off the bench. Now, when you're doing that with three, four, five guys, are you asking maybe a bit much, much? You know what I mean? It's like there's, there's just so much of a shuffle going on right now yes, and changing yes. of lineups. You're I'd right. like to see the best lineup out there, regardless if it's a lefty or a righty. That's where I think analytics sometimes can hurt the game. Because, well, because it's, it's different know, if I mean, the Dodger right-handed lineup had had. And, and in particular, the guys that are in for like Muncy and Bellinger should always be in the lineup. Well, there you go. A Rod made two. this point in the post game show. I don't Plain know if you heard simple. this or not. Like, a Rod mentioned this. You know. Yeah, yeah, th- that's a great point. A Rod mentioned this exact same thing. How is Bellinger, as a left handed hitter, good enough to face Hader and get a but yeah. not price, not sale? Why is that the case? I don't like that at all. And he's a. He is the best defensive player on the Dodgers. Bellinger is very comparable to Ben Attendee. In, and Ben Attendee's just had a better year this year. But they've, they're very similar in the way they play. I think Bellinger maybe has a little more pop and Ben Attendee hits a little bit more for average. But they're very, like, they're fast. They defensively, like, that play that Ben Attendee made in game two, you can't make a play better than that. It, literally, you can't. I mean, he was fully stretched out, extended, Bellinger made a couple of those type plays, too, that really saved the Dodgers. And so seven out of nine right-handed hitters is fine. You want to bat Bellinger seventh? But the the issue is, is that the Kiki Hernandez is right now, who's like three for his last 35. He's supposed to be in there to hit against righties, against left-handed pitching. If he's not hitting against left-handed pitching, he's not a better defender than Bellinger. There's no point in playing him. Yeah, there's way, there's way too much Kiki going on. The, right now, He's got one, sure. one RBI in the postseason, batting .094. I don't know what the fascination is with it's Kiki. ever since he called out the Dodger fans. This, that's what happened. Did you, would you, did you read about that? 
He called out the fans and and got mad. I, it wasn't the next day we kind of walked it back a little bit. Yeah. He kind of walked it back, but yeah. what he said was really bad, man. I mean, it was. And the, and I was at the, the next game, and the whole place was cheering Kiki and giving him a standing O. And we want obviously nobody dislikes him, but it's funny when you you say something like that. And since then, it, nothing has happened for you. So let's go. Uh, let's go to the other side, on the Red Sox side. For the Dodgers to have a legitimate chance, do you think that? Wait, wait, do they have to win three? If they win two no, and they go back to Fenway so. down three to two, is that yeah, good I mean, enough for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we, and we know, and just like we're talking about, baseball, and as you and I were having a conversation before about, like, Dan Marino, and even in football, there's so many variables in baseball and football that it's it's really not, like, the same as, like, basketball. Like, basketball, if you're the best player in the league or if you're supposed to be an all-time great player, you win the title. Plain and simple. Because you can carry your team with only five guys on the court. You're playing 40 out of the 48 minutes. You made a great point. In football, Marino can only handle what happens on one side of the ball. You know? And in baseball, your offense can be great, and you could still lose, you know, 8-7. Your defense can be great, and you could lose 2-1. to one. So, so many things can happen in baseball. I mean, any team can win four games in a row or lose th- or lose four games in a row. Lose three, win, win four. You know, any, any of that. Especially team a team like the Dodgers, who their floor, and I think this is probably what I've noticed the most in the Dodger-Red Sox matchup, their range is so much different than the Red Sox. I'm talking about their floor to ceiling range. Like a bad Dodger game is like three levels below what a bad Red Sox game is. But a best Dodger game, I think, is probably pretty close. Like, the Red Sox probably at their best are still a little bit better. But a best effort from the Dodgers is pretty comparable. I just think that when they're bad, they're so bad. Like, they're just – they're they. that's what one thing that's been really frustrating. It's like goo. When you, I, think when that just, I think that's just the way that their team is built. This year, it's a, yeah. It's a highly analytics-built team. And it's it's. I have the same criticism I had of the Yankees I have of the Dodgers. But, Too much of a one-trick pony. If you're not hitting the long ball – you're not going to win many games. And the, that's my biggest criticism of it. Whereas the Red Sox, they could win the game with singles and doubles and steals what? and that kind of stuff. And it, it, that's kind of, that's not what you'd see in today's game. You don't see a lot of 1980s St. Louis Cardinals baseball right no, now. And, I just, know? and I I'm not love, saying the Red Sox are that because, you know, the 80s Cardinals, you know, Willie McGee and Vince Coleman. I mean, they had six guys that could steal you 20 to 80 bases, right? But the Red Sox... They, they take at bats. They take they, good at bats. They take pitches. There are no easy outs. They know how to hit with two outs. They get better hitting with two outs. They, you know, um, the stars, the bench, you name it. You can have a, a Nunez come off the bench. And I wouldn't expect home runs from Nunez necessarily, but I'm expecting a good at bat. I mean, he's a 300-type hitter. You know, his career average is probably, I don't know, it's probably 290, 300. No, and Nunez level. is great. He's like a 270. Yeah, I've always liked But I think the issue is we're reading into – extreme outcome so far when the Dodgers lose everything that you said they do they do they stay they go they, they go home run hunting they don't have great at bats they swing at bad pitches but when the Dodgers win all of a sudden you look through a lineup that goes oh wow Justin Turner's a really tough hitter to get through Manny Machado can get on base Max Muncie has probably one of the best eyes in baseball he, he doesn't really swing at a lot of bad pitches you know, and and Puig right now is hitting the ball very well. And Puig doesn't really take, doesn't really swing at a ton of bad pitches anymore, and doesn't really give it bats away. So that that's the thing is you're right. When the Dodgers lose, that's who they are. They're that bad team that only tries to hit home runs. When they win, they're making batters work. Like 
the start of game one. I mean, Chris Sale was out, had 75 pitches through three. They were making him work. They Even in, even in the outs that Sale got, they were three, two counts, counts where they fouled a couple pitches off. That Those were the good at-bats that a Dodger team that wins has. The problem is they haven't had enough of those. And right now, they're basically giving away whoever's catching right now, unfortunately, is just an automatic out. That's supposed to be... When, the Do- when you compare lineups, that's supposed to be a strength for the Dodgers compared to Boston, is offensive f- spots from the catcher. Like Grandall hitting 25 home runs, and even Austin Barnes giving you supposed to be giving you some good at-bats. They're supposed to be producing more than Leon and Vasquez. No, you know? no, no, no disagreement there, and, and I think what's more troubling is if you're not going to produce at the plate, then you can't have the pass balls and, and some Yeah, and that's why Barnes is in the game, because yeah. at least he's, not, he's, he's been clean defensively. Yeah, that, yeah, that's all you need, you know. Yeah, and just quickly for the record, because I'm kind of anal like that, I had to pull it up. Uh, Nunez, I just wanted to look at his last few years. You know, uh, two two ninety six, three twenty one, three oh eight, three thirteen. Uh, this year, he was kind of injured a little bit, so he dipped. Yeah, I had him on my fantasy team for a while. He was banged up, but he's good, man. He plays all over the place. Like I like Nunez. He's, I, I don't, he's a solid guy, especially coming yeah. coming off the bench. And you know, to me, right now, the most Red Sox like hitter for the Dodgers is Justin Turner. I love Justin Turner. I think he's a guy that can hit. 330 free, home runs. Freeze is healthy. in the lineup. He is too. He is really free. Here's the thing with Freeze. He's a ridiculous postseason performer. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, the guy. He's not in. And not. He should never come out of the game right now because he's every at bat that he has. The only reason why he does is because defensively he's terrible. We saw that the other day. He's not a first baseman. He doesn't even put his foot on the bag the right way. He literally is, he keeps his foot on top of the base. He's going to get it kicked off like Machado did to a. Uh, well, he's a third baseman by trade, if I remember 100%. correctly. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. He, he's only played corner spots just, I think, because defensively he still was, he, he just was never that great. You sure. know, I think uh, I think it's just trying to get his bat in the lineup and, and hopefully he doesn't make as many mistakes over there at first base. Um, because you're right, right now, that's the issue, is that there are only two or three Dodgers, I'll say three and a half. I'll say you're getting good at bats right now from Turner, Machado, Puig, and then freeze when he's in. And and you can't have four, you can have three or four guys hitting the ball well, but you can't have five or six guys all struggling at once. And that seems like what's happening with the Dodgers. So I'm just right going to go down the list here. These are guys that are hitless in two games for the Dodgers so far Kike, yep. Chris Taylor, yep. Dozier, Barnes, yep. Peterson, yep. Bellinger, Grendel. The only one who I'll give a little bit of a pass to on that is Dozier because he, he did crack that ball last night and Ben Attendee made an out of that world play. So he, yeah, he would have yeah. been, been on second with a double and and maybe that, and you know, in a close game, that changes things. Uh, that, yeah, and at least that, he's got, he got on base a couple times, drew some walks, you know. And the season, hits as good as a walk, right? I mean, yeah, a, a walk's as good as a hit. Bad. And the thing yeah. about, yeah, that's, so of all of them, I'd say he worries me the least. But the problem is with Dozier, again, kind of like what we said, he's in there to be an excellent defensive player too. And he had a couple double play turns that weren't necessarily errors, but those are big league double plays that you have to turn in the world series, you know? So it's one of those things where you're just not getting enough from the Dodgers right now as a, as a team, Boston is winning. And as a team, the Dodgers are losing because when you go through just like you did, how many guys haven't had a hit yet? And then you look at game one freeze with a mistake. Dozier with a little mistake. Ball drops at, out of Jock's glove that he just should have slid and could have very easily caught. Uh, Puig throws the ball home and lets mo- and lets the runner get the second and allows another run. That's four or five like mental errors that you just can't have happen. 
So if we if we both agree that the next game is a must win because you can't yes, go down 100%. take us into the break with with giving us your prediction. How, how does how do the next five games play out? Well, I think it'll be interesting because I do think that they will both teams will score a little bit more runs because both of their lineups are a little bit more powerful against the righties. So I think in game three, we're going to see righty righty. I expect a good game for Bueller, but I think it's going to be like a six, four game Dodgers. We're going to see Porcello. Um, For me, the whole thing is I'm expecting the Dodgers like they did to Milwaukee, like they've done throughout the year. They're, relentless in a different way as Boston. As you mentioned, Boston is a little more relentless. They'll make you work the count a little bit more. Right now, they're having better at-bats. But a Dodger lineup is still relentless when you go through, you know, 13 players and they all have 10 to 12 to 15 home runs and any one of them you can't make one bad pitch to because they can leave the yard. I'm expecting a a game or two where the Dodgers kind of bust out because, as you mentioned, didn't really hit a lot of home runs against Milwaukee we haven't really seen the long ball a whole ton yet from them in the playoffs. I'm not saying they need that to win, but I'm expecting it in a couple games, at least one or two games where they kind of unload. We, we just haven't seen them really play one game where everything seems to go right. And maybe they're not going to, maybe that doesn't happen this year, but I'm, I'm expecting a really good performance from them. I think the day off and the uh, came at the perfect time. And the change in scenery came at the perfect time. I would have not wanted to play another game after the feels because that game yesterday, Mike, was four to two, but it felt like it was fifteen to two. You know, like yeah. it, was, it was just I, from I, the I, two. They they panned to the Dodger dugout after the Red Sox took the lead, and I looked. I'm like, these guys are not coming back today. Yeah, not today. It, I mean, I was I, I texted my friends. I was like, what's scary for Boston is that it feels like they're killing us, and if we get one runner on and hit a home run, the game is tied. Yep. So that was what was was scary is that it felt a lot worse than it really was. I think mainly because Boston is just, they've been so good throughout the playoffs. And that key stat is that every time they score first, they win. Every time they score first, they win. And, and some games they give the lead up. Some games their bullpen or their pitchers give a few runs up. But it's like when they get that stranglehold on you right away, uh, they're so far they've been impossible to beat. And when you're hitting 400 with runners in scoring position and two outs, I mean... If that continues, that's just that's that's what wins you a championship when you go on a run like that. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Let's take our break first time? commercial break. Shift the yeah. gears a little bit to the NFL. I hope we have a few more minutes uh, in between to be able to to re-engage in in the, the World World Series discussion. I've got a few more points, particularly about what I feel has been Cora's most brilliant decision to date. Stay with us. We will be right back in two minutes with Rick Saratella from the NFL Draft Bible. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Do you love sports talk? Can't get enough sports talk? Have we got a show for you. It's about the NFL training camps, Super Bowl previews, a look at the new starting quarterbacks, and weekly key injuries. We'll take your calls and emails right on the air. Former Philadelphia Eagle James Loving is your host, and you never know who'll drop by for a co-host spot or an interview on the spot. Tune in to Loving That Sports Talk with James Loving every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. 
Want to experience football from the perspective of a former player who also has coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver. He'll talk about the draft, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason. Daryl has the connections and the knowledge to bring you the inside stories of the game's past, present, and future. He'll cover the camps on and off the field and everything else, football and beyond. Sports Info UM is heard Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby on Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. This is the Mike Abadir Show. If you want to call in today, we can be reached at 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Mike at the MikeAbadirShow.com. Now, back to this week's program. Back here on the Mike Abadir Show, some good World Series talk in segment one. And Mike, next week, we're going to be talking Breeders' Cup next week. Uh, I already spoke with Craig Milkowski and Scott Shapiro, so they'll be joining us. Maybe we can sneak in one or two other guests because we'll do a... We'll do a little Breeders' Cup preview. It'll yeah, be I think actually a, Todd Shrupp said that he had some thoughts that he wanted to, awesome, to share man. with the listeners, too. So, so uh, we'll any of those TVG in. fans, you know, we'll bring in uh, Todd and the gang and, and talk some good Breeders' Cup. Well, we, I know one man who uh, probably probably has made a bet or two in his day, but I, it'll probably be a little more in the in the football or maybe in the we were talking a little baseball during the, the break. It's our good friend from NFL Draft Bible, Rick Saratella, and we are – Mid, basically midway through this football season, and, and Rick, so far, I want to say thank you for joining us again. But what, uh, what do you, what do you notice? What do you want to, uh, to wrap on a little bit about about this year in the NFL? Well, thanks for having me on, guys. Always nice to crawl out of the scouting cave and uh, spend a, a few minutes chatting with you guys. And um, yeah, yeah, was was enjoying the World Series talk here to break it up a little bit. But you know, the thing that. I think stands out to me is uh, John Gruden, you know, for better or for worse, dominating the NFL headlines, uh, <laughs> equipped with three first-round picks. And I find it interesting, you know, we've had some internal debate here at the NFL Draft Scout as to whether or not the Raiders, you know, David Carr not necessarily being a quote-unquote Gruden's guy, uh, will he stay or will he go now with three first-round picks, even if, a team like the Giants, who need a quarterback desperately, are picking ahead of them. Uh, Oakland now has that ammunition uh, to move up, and I think they kind of dictate the 2019 NFL draft as it stands right now. And I would not be surprised if some more trades are, are to be made here. Now, before we expand on that, tell me this, Rick. Looking into your you know, uh, stack of scouting reports and looking into your crystal ball, how strong is the 2019 draft shaping out to be? I guess for purposes of this question, I'm not really talking about the depth from top to bottom round kind of top to seven. You know, just in that first round, are you going to be able 
do you want, I mean, do they want three first round draft? Is this the year where you're like, man, you know, it's like in the NBA, you know, there's just those years where you're like, just stoked that you've got two out of the top 10 picks or something like that. Is this that year for the Raiders? Is this going to be where we look back in five years and say, you know what, they're really smart to do what they're doing? Well, you know, it's it's an interesting theory because, uh, you know, every now and then you get a year where, you know, people are down on the draft and, and I don't know, call me crazy, I just never bought into the theory. Like, my database has 3,000 players in it. And if we can't find some good players roaming this country, uh, you know, then we're not doing our job. So, yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of, the star-studded power, Ed Oliver from Houston, Nick Bosa from Ohio State are, are pretty much, you know, in the running to be the top overall pick, in my opinion, and I think a lot of other people's opinion. It doesn't have the star-studded quarterbacks that, you know, uh, say as of last year where, you know, a lot of people were knocking the quarterbacks to death and really should have been appreciating uh, the quality and depth of that quarterback class. And I think, you know, that's really, you know, where the star-studded power, and, and maybe because they don't have all these, you know, uh, glamorous quarterbacks in this year's draft that people are saying that. But with that being said, I thought, you know, there was a lot of chatter, a lot of chatter about Justin Herbert returning to Oregon, regardless of how this season played out. And that was coming into the year. As you said, we're halfway through the season. He's clearly established himself, I think, as the number one quarterback. But you are hearing still uh, Jason LaConfora, a pretty well-connected guy over there at CBS Sports, still reporting that Herbert intends to return to school. So with that being said, you know, Dwayne Haskins, I think, could be a wild card at Ohio State, the redshirt sophomore. But if, if Herbert stays and Haskins stays, I mean, you're looking at, like, Ryan Finley, Drew, you know, who's 30th on my big board. Will Greer is 32. Drew Locke is 35. Um, so the quarterback class could be a little bit troublesome. Now, I will say, not to be too long-winded, in the last three years, I believe, nine NFL teams have selected first-round quarterbacks, which is nearly a third of the league. And, you know, probably another third has big-time money invested in the quarterback position. So aside from... You know, the Giants, the Raiders, uh, maybe the Denver Broncos have a high pick and are looking at QB. I don't think there's a huge, huge quarterback market as much as there's been in previous years. So question to kind of piggyback on Rick's point about Gruden, and I want to direct it a little to you, Mike, as a fan of the Raiders. You can't really be too upset with what's happening, right? Because it seems like they have a plan at least. Whether or not the plan will work out, they seem to have a plan. They're trying to get Gruden the opportunity to get players that he wants in. And, you know, everyone jumped on the Khalil Mack trade at the beginning of the year. But if they looked at this team and said, okay, if we keep Khalil Mack, we're 6-10, and 10, is that worth keeping him? Why not bottom out, get some picks that can really help us over the next couple of years and try to build a young team going forward with Gruden? Well, I'm puzzled as to, you know, Aside from just stockpiling picks, what is the plan, right? Like, to me, it would make more sense if they're going to keep their offensive nucleus, right, and build around that and then use the draft to, to fix their, their defense or even enhance their offense even more and to have a, a Kansas City-like attack, right, or vice versa. 
But when you're tra- trading your best players on both sides of the ball, you know, what's Almost your identity? Almost too much to do. Almost yeah, too much I mean, Rick, to Rick, what, 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 what's the Raiders' identity? I mean, we don't have any clues. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and you, and you make a good point because is there a plan? Like, to me, the plan is to get Reggie McKenzie out of town, which seems yeah. inevitable. So, like, why is he still there at this point? Because Gruden is obviously calling the shots. He obviously took a dig at McKenzie saying he wanted Derwin James, but we had two other uh, high, highly selected safeties on the roster, so we couldn't take them. He's since cut Obi Melifonwu, and you know the other uh, safety who's slipping my mind is does it doesn't even start for the team. And yeah, you know what is their offensive identity now? Amari Cooper's gone. Uh, Marshawn Lynch. It looks like his career is over. They got the the the, the muscle hamster back there, but you know I think that. You know, they should really, if they're going to part ways with Reggie McKenzie after the season, why not just do it now? And since you're stockpiling picks, hey, you might as well go the Jimmy Johnson route at this point because the way I see it, it sounds like from all the reports and uh, the social media reading between the lines and the David, you know, uh, car crying, you know, uh, crying gate incident, it seems like. This locker room needs to be torn down, gutted, yep. and I think it's going to take at least two or three years to churn over this roster, get in the guys that Gruden wants with fresh attitudes, starting with the clean slate. I think the damage is already done yeah. in terms of the veterans on this team. Like a lot of them said, you know, he's doing one thing, or he's saying one thing and telling the team Amari Cooper's not going to be traded, and then they're going home and hearing it from their phones, they're hearing it from Twitter, they're hearing it from ESPN, they're not finding out from Gruden that Cooper's been traded. They're going home and finding out on social media after Gruden addresses the team and says he's not going anywhere. So I think he's lost the locker room, he's lost the trust of the veterans, he's not working well with Reggie McKenzie. I mean, as of right now, eight games into it or whatever we are, it's a big fat F. For failure, but you know, again, there's a 10-year contract here, and you know he's going to have a million. time to to do what it takes. Yeah. <laughs> the fun, the funniest thing to me was that one of the Bay Area reporters was 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 uh, was was commenting that Gruden apparently said, "Well, the Cooper deal isn't even official." While Cooper was practicing already with the, with other the Cowboys, team. with the Cowboys, he's already he's already with Dak. He was the I could believe passes. it. Yeah. You know, we could talk about the Raiders all day long, and they're one of those teams that kind of yeah. uh, have that kind of allure to them. But a team that's a lot closer is is the Jaguars. Do you think right now they're sitting back regretting that the rich got richer when the Saints acquired Bridgewater and that they didn't pull the trigger and make that move themselves? I mean, I'm not sure if that was a halftime kind of shake or mid-game kind of, you know, let's shake things up a little bit and then put Bortles back in. But you already know where you're going to get out of Bortles. Kessler obviously isn't the guy that's going to lead them no to the way. Super Bowl. Oh, no way. So, I mean, uh, what's what's going on in Jacksonville? Yeah, you know, it's it's unfortunate they did not address that during the offseason. And I don't care what you say, uh, the Jaguars went to the AFC Championship. It sounded like from everything you heard from management that they're going to, you know, kind of place their chips in, in the Blake Bortles uh foundation but you know i just never been a big believer of blake bortles even coming out and you know i would have loved to see them do something for me i mean i i I get the politics of it obviously but i mean at the end of the day the job is to win football games why not sign colin kaepernick at least 
make a run here. While we're talking Jaguars, it's kind of just staying in that division. What a weird division there now where you have the Jaguars, the Texans who have won four games in a row, like quietly. They win three overtime games that they should have maybe lost all three of them, and then they come back and they win last week. They're now four and three. You have a Titans team who had a couple big wins to start the season, but they've looked atrocious as of late. And and then the Colts are two and five, but from just like the eye test, they're not necessarily the worst team in the division. That's what, to me the most confusing division in all of football. I have no idea what I'm getting out of all four of those teams. Yeah, the the Titans especially to me are are, are Doctor uh, Jekyll and Mister Hyde because you know I really had big expectations. I thought they were pretty well uh, in terms of depth and quality. You know, breaking it down position by position. I thought the Titans, to me, had a slight advantage going into the season. Um, you know, the Jaguars, it's, it's, it's just crazy because they were in the AFC Championship, and I just don't see them even being in the playoff hunt at the rate they're going. Um, Houston, you know, say what you want about Bill O'Brien. Okay, this guy he finds a way to stay relevant, and he might be the <laughs> modern-day Jeff Fisher. He always finishes 8-8, eight and eight, but it seems <laughs> like they're always in the mix. And, I, and listen, as long as Andrew Luck – I mean, Luck stepped into Peyton Manning's shoes, and it's kind of like the same deal. Like, as long as Luck is back there, they got a shot to win any game. Now, you know, are, are, are they contenders? No. You know, they're probably pretenders at this point, but, you know, they can beat any team in their conference, and I think they can beat just about any team on any given day and maybe not keep up with the Chiefs and the Rams or the Patriots of the world. But, you know, this Colts team, I think I agree with what you said, is is better than what their record indicates. But right now, uh, you know, you got to go with who has the most stability at quarterback. And, you know, while Luck has some uh, some some stability. I think Watson and the Texans are probably in the best shape as it stands right now. So we kind of started with the bottom, worked our way to the mid-tier, focusing on the top tier for a moment. To me, you know, the NFL has always kind of been, I guess in baseball too, the most wide open in terms of anything can happen. You know, it's not like basketball where you can ink in, you know, the Warriors every year, that type of thing. Right now, the way I'm looking at it, you know, it's a collision course between the Rams and the Saints. Let's see who gets that home field advantage uh, in the NFC with maybe a couple of teams like the Vikings and Carolina starting to kind of, you know, hit their stride. And and, and, the, and the AFC, you know, same thing, you know, Chiefs and Patriots type of collision course, you know, and maybe a team like the Ravens or, you know, some of these kind of, uh, you know, the Chargers. Chargers, perhaps as well. Yeah, good, 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 uh, good point there. Maybe the Steelers, but am, am I wrong to kind of think you know at this point right now? You know, obviously injuries can affect things, but I don't see any of those four teams being derailed. You know, Kansas City and the Patriots and 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 the Rams and uh, <clears throat> excuse me and the uh, Saints. You know, I I liked uh, I liked your final four. I think the the Vikings, Rams, and what we saw a couple of weeks ago, Patriots, Chiefs. I think those, you know, I think the Patriots, Chiefs was a preview of the AFC Championship, and you know, I know Mahomes uh, missed some open touchdown throws there in in the first half, and I I think that you know it was a big learning experience for him. So when they meet again, I think he's going to be better prepared. In fact, you know, I was watching the Chiefs on on national TV the other night. And, uh, you know, I'll go on the record and say, you know, right now, 
I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the entire league. And, you know, what this guy has done has been truly remarkable and historical. And, uh, you know, I, I, tools, I don't right, know. Too, I, know. I know the Chiefs. I he passes the eye test. Of a defense. Say it again. Yeah, he, he just he passes the eye test even more than the numbers. You know, you watch the plays that he makes, the 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 ones where he's able to extend and then just make the pinpoint throw. It's you know, you look at some some guys who come into the league, they take over for four or five games, they have really gaudy numbers, and the league figures him out. But I, I just I don't think that's the case with this guy. I think he's going to be around as long as he stays healthy for a while because he seems like he really does have all the tools. I, I think it's not just yeah. Like when you say tools, oh, I was just gonna say I think that's the best way to put it because the guy. I mean, I've always, you know, Rick. I know you've talked to a lot of NFL scouts uh, as I have, and you know, a lot of times, you know, they'll ask me about my players, my clients. You know, what other sports did he play in high school? You know, what was he really good in? Did he excel? Was he all league in anything? You know, the two sport type of guy. He is the embodiment of that. I mean, this guy is like an Alex Rodriguez shortstop type guy. He could be an outfielder. Mm -hmm. He could have been probably a major leaguer if you wanted to go that route, like his father. You know, um, a a bigger version of Murray from Oklahoma, who's obviously committed to playing baseball. I love these type of guys that can do it all. And you could see it when Gino talks about the tools. You could see the throws that he makes and – and, you know, if he needs to switch to his left hand or, or a sidearm throw to evade a defender or, you know, a sidestep or be able to run for, for – I mean, the guy is unbelievable. And I agree with your assessment that he, he's the top – I'd say him and Breeze, in my opinion, right now are the two top quarterbacks. Yeah. If I was needing a quarterback today to, to run my team, I think either of those guys are just so in sync, one Rick, older, one younger. Rick, were you guys – like, how high on him were – you when he was coming out compared to now like has he shown drastic improvements for you is this something that you always saw in him maybe you thought he'd be good but not this good like where did you stand on him watching him in college great question no he yeah no he's completely exceeded my expectations i had a round two grade on him just because of the rawness and you know the you you definitely saw him Flash the potential, the arm strength is incredible. A little bit of um, Brett Favre gunslinger mentality. Uh, obviously, very confident in his arm ability. So maybe took some risks at the collegiate level. You wondered if you know they'd be able to reel that in. I think what Andy Reid did was you know kind of almost redshirt him that freshman year, the yeah. first season with the Chiefs. Learn from Alex Smith and kind of you know learn the responsibility of being an NFL quarterback and. You know, almost uh, in in the way of a a Steve McNair who just had all these raw tools and then just needed some some polishing. I mean, to think that he was going to, you know, set all these records and, you know, play at such a high level, I would have never predicted that. And, you know, quarterback is such a tough evaluation, but I will tell you, you know, here in New Jersey, a lot of talk about Eli Manning. They're playing the Giants on national TV and you see in front of you, and I hate to say it, the, the, the crumbling of Eli Manning. And you watch Pat Mahomes and his ability to extend plays, move around, buy time in the pocket, throw on the run. And that's what the Giants so desperately need. And it was such a compare and contrast of what you know Eli Manning used to be 
and it was like a, a, a passing of the torch in terms of, you know, some of our great signal callers. Obviously, I'm not going to put a yellow jacket on Mahomes just yet, but I agree with you, Gino. I think this kid is going to be around for a very long time. I think he's going to go down as one of the greatest in, in this generation, and I think we've seen enough to know that, hey, there's something special here. Rick Saratella, our good friend. We love talking with Rick because we can hit everything with Rick from NFL Draft Bible, Draft Scout. He can give us all uh, <laughs> all of the uh, the college information. We can talk pros. We can talk a little baseball, Rick. So what's uh, what's give us the folks, what are you working on now? What's coming up for you in the next little bit, and where can we find you? Yeah, so, you know, at NFL Draft Bible on the uh, Twitterverse, you know, we have our weekly uh, NFL Draft Slant newsletter over on NFLDraftScout.com. And, you know, also getting ready for the combine training season here in New Jersey, linked up with the good good men at uh, Test Football Academy here in New Jersey. They, they're celebrating their 20-year anniversary and going to be working with those guys, just helping, you know, college prospects trying to get to the next level. It's a good time. To be a college prospect, I just spoke to a, a player's parent today and was telling them with all the new leagues, the Alliance League, the XFL, all these professional opportunities, I mean, this has been about the best year to, to, to come out and, and be a graduating player or a draft-eligible player and uh, plenty of opportunity. Of course, uh, we'll be publishing that uh, NFL draft guide, uh, the draft Bible on the draft scout platform and, and just really looking forward to um, – Having my best year yet, you know, I'm having a career year. This is my 18th season. I must say I'm having a career year. I have 300 <laughs> player write-ups in October, <laughs> right? And uh, like the Brooklyn Brawler over here, pat myself on the back. There we go. Yeah. Love it. That's good stuff. <laughs> hey, you know, it's only October, so I can only imagine by time when we get to uh, publishing a draft guide, we should have a solid 500, 600 player write-ups. Hey, and Rick, on that note, if you could, send me that test deck as well. I'm talking to a couple of players back east, which I normally don't do, and if they want to stay out that way, um, this maybe could pique their interest. So good stuff all the way around, Rick. Definitely appreciate you coming on with us. Absolutely. Always love joining you guys. We'll chat soon. Outstanding. That's Rick Saratella, NFL Draft Bible, killing it like Great. always. Great. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the point he made on Mahomes is really key is that we see so many of these quarterbacks that get thrown into it right away. And man, that, that redshirt year for him, quote unquote, redshirt year where he, he sat behind a good offense, watched a, an average NFL quarterback. Who's, who's won some games in Alex. Smith. I'd even say, I'd even say above, above average. Above average you know, yeah. Alex Smith's pretty nice, pretty nice. I mean, and even this year where they're not sexy, they're four and two, they're winning games. You know, he just doesn't make a lot of mistakes is really sure. what he does. What and he does. It was really interesting think, hearing him describe uh, just getting into that one game last year and the yeah. world of a difference that it made for him. The speed and everything, you know, just the, like you meant one game, not enough to not, you know, six or seven games to where, uh Oh, he has one or two bad games. And then things can go like we've seen kind of with Baker, you know, after that first game kind of slide a little bit. When you're young, that's what happens when you're a rookie, man. You know, these guys, there's a target on you. They want to come right after you. They want to hurt you. They want to put you on the sideline, you know? Yep, exactly. Man, these are men that you're that you're lining up against. So, uh, great stuff from Rick there. And yeah, and Michael, the Chiefs are obviously getting a lot of uh, re- respect uh, in terms of uh, Las Vegas. I'm looking here and seeing that they're 10-point yeah. favorites against a division rival, Denver Broncos. Yeah. But that's, uh, that's, uh, that's not something that you'd normally see because no. the Broncos aren't garbage. They're, they're a decent team. You know, I, um, I think that I do think that Mahomes 
is better and has a higher upside than any of the quarterbacks that the Chiefs have had the last few years. But my only concern is this is something we've seen with the Chiefs now many times where they have a great start to the season, weather gets a little cold, um, an injury or two to one of the offensive players, and then they don't move as quite the machine as they are right now. That would That's my only concern is that I think in the last five years, we've seen them start 4-0, 5-0, 8-0, and have really great starts and not be able to get to the Super Bowl. So um, we'll see if they are able to, to tweak that this year with, I think, a quarterback who has a higher upside and can maybe take them to levels that they were not able to get to in the last few years. Yeah, no doubt. So it looks like two, the two young stars quarterback-wise of the league are uh, in games with the highest point spreads, I think, on the uh, this this week's uh uh, uh, card with with the the Rams and Goff and and the the Chiefs, uh, both you know that nine to ten point range. Let's let's talk a little point and, spreads. Yeah, let's talk some games. I mean, last week there were a couple games that were right under sixty. And when we uh, when we talk point spreads, we talk games. We want to welcome in each and every week our good friend, the Parlay Queen from ABR Live from Covers. This is. Monique, we, you know, it seems like each week we're kind of saying the same thing, but great, great sports timing right now. Every single day, big games going on now, basketball, college football, NFL, big horse racing next weekend, NHL. I know you like to play some hockey up there, too. Just so many betting options right now. There's so much going on, and if you love offense, which most people tend to, it's just crazy the amount of points that are being put up on the board, especially in NBA. Like, we're looking at one of the highest scoring seasons of all time, and it's it's been it's been a crazy crazy time of the year, and it's just been very very exciting if you're a huge fan of offense. So it's as like as like we've always said, the best time of the year. Obviously, everything's going on in the sports world, but yeah, it's been so much fun just glued to the TV every single day, and can't complain with that. How many? I'm just curious. What's your setup like? Like, do you have like a TV going on, a phone with a game going on, a laptop, uh, a, a second TV? What? Like, describe kind of give us a little sense of where you watch your games and and, and how you you do it because you're 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 uh, you've got expertise in various sports and uh, games go on at the same time. So take us into your uh, living room. Well, I try not to have too much action in too many separate sports because I really do like to follow along. <laughs> you know, it's the same as with the horse races, the people that are betting every single track at all times. I don't know how they manage to do it, but I try to keep it a little bit balanced. But I definitely have the two TV set up. I have that going. And then it's hard here in Canada. We don't get a lot of very good feeds unless, I mean, they're trying to get you paying for all those packages where you get all the games. But if you don't do that, there's, I'm, I always have a game streaming, I'll be honest with that. So I do that and have the two TV set up and usually one on my phone. But, I mean, I, I try my best to, to pay attention because I do love the in-game bets, but it's tough. And, I mean, I just, I just love the action, so I'll never complain being busy in that sense. You should see Gino on a Saturday when, when there's college football. Yeah, last, last, Saturday, <laughs> last Saturday, on Saturday night, I was three at once. I had the Lakers, the Dodgers, and USC all at the same time, literally yeah, for, for Game good. 7 for the Dodgers. And I... Of course, I was focused in on Game Seven, but I was literally drenched in sweat. As I'm and just somehow, like, some way, you're still <laughs> talking about like Keeneland locks too. I'm, or, you know, like I love this play at Keeneland. I'm like, wow, he's uh, all. Uh, it was awesome. amazing. It was it was amazing. So, Monique, unfortunately, we don't have too much time. We only have about four or five minutes left in the show. So let's get through your uh, your plays this week. I think you have two for us, right? 
Yeah, only liking two things. Uh, huge spreads this week, which is interesting to me. But the one I like, I guess, the most would probably be Packers plus nine and a half. Now, although the Rams are the much better team, and it would really, really take a perfect game for the Packers to even come close to winning outright, nine and a half is still a lot of points. I think if the Rams take their foot off the gas or don't really bring enough defensive pressure, I think allowing Aaron Rodgers with some time to throw, he can pick apart any defense in the league, and especially a banged-up Rams secondary. Now, going on with that pick a little bit, I do think that they could get torched by the tight end position. Now, we saw them causing a lot of problems for the Rams, especially early on. You had Jared Cook, who had nine receptions for 180 yards in their game uh, early on. I think it was week two. Now, Jimmy Graham comes into the game averaging 350 yards, and it's 12.9 yards of reception. So I think if the Packers are going to have success, I think it's going to be in large part due to Aaron Rodgers, of course. And I think that the connection to Jimmy Graham is one of those underrated connections in the league that we haven't seen for so many years. But I think he's a player that I would hone in on this week to have a big game. And then one more play for Monique. Sorry about this one, Mikey. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's it's it's it. Colts by three. And I think it's pretty <laughs> obvious that the Raiders have to some extent thrown in the towel this season and they're just kind of looking to improve on draft stock. Now, the Colts are coming off of a very good victory. One of those feel-good victories and a dominant win versus the Bills last week. Now, they ran for 220 yards and at 2-5 and five in the season, surprisingly, they're just not out of the division race. The AFC South has been just a total disappointment and versus a defense this week in the Raiders giving up 131 yards a game, I do think the Colts are going to find some success as a small road favorite. And since it's only a one-score spread, I, I think I'll take the Colts at minus three. Can't blame me there whatsoever. Monique, the Parlay Queen. You can find her online at Parlay Queen. You can find her work on covers, on ABR Live. And Monique, next week um, we'll, we'll talk to you. It'll probably be quick again, but if you, uh, if you have a, a horse that you like too in one of the Breeders' Cup races, you can let us know and we'll maybe get you a, a game or two from you and maybe a horse. Perfect. Sounds good. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of things I like, but I'll try to keep it to just one. <laughs> uh, one or two, whatever. Yeah, whatever yeah. you got. Awesome. Thanks, Monique. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Monique. Thank you guys so much. Okay, so just a couple minutes left, Mikey. I know one man you might not believe, but one man who believes in luck is this guy right here because last week I needed Justin Tucker to miss an extra point to cover one of my games and win, and then I needed the I needed a penalty to cause the Cowboys five yards back in order for them to miss a field goal to cover my other game. So I went two and one this week. I mean, the last month, there has been more lucky bounces on my side than I've ever had in my entire life gambling. Man, that, that last week was crazy. <laughs> and that, I mean, you were definitely was, the beneficiary man. of a, B, a BS penalty there. But yeah. hey, man. I'll when it comes it. to this business of, it, of, of playing games, you'll take it because most of the time the balls don't bounce your way. That that field goal, it, it evens goal, out. It, most you know, of the time it evens um, out, but you remember the bad ones way more than you remember the good ones. It sure ones, so. doesn't seem like the inquiries even out for me. You know, for whatever no, you're reason, not. I, right? I agree. And the missed kick. So I was happy to see that that two went in your favor. <laughs> remember, I texted you right away. I'm like, dude, this is fantastic. I, you know, I know. Like, this is unreal. So what do you and got for this week? I got two more this week. So Let's right now, I'm 16, 8, and 2. You're 9, 6, and 2. Those are some pretty damn good numbers. I have two plays this week. The Ravens minus 2 at Carolina. I mean, Baltimore was going to was gonna go to overtime last week. They're, they're, a, they're a better team than I, than I think they are. And, I, and, I'm, 
And I think Carolina, I smell head to head. Yeah, I smell Carolina's head to head. Coming off that big win last week where they came from behind, I think they're flattered. So you're going Panthers here? I'm going Panthers. Awesome. Okay. So wait, where, where, we're 4-0. We, you're yep. 4-0 in our right. head-to-head bets against me so far. So, uh, okay, so I you, go, got the, you got the Ravens. Two. What else? I got the Ravens minus two, and then I got the Lions minus three at home playing against the Seahawks. Lions are, like, quietly starting to get back into the playoff picture. They beat Miami last week on the road, and they're better at home. And I think this is a game that they – the Seahawks aren't anything sexy. I think this is a game that they win. It's a close game, but I, I think the Lions win by maybe a touchdown here. So I take okay, the Lions minus we got 30 three. seconds, so I'm going rattle to the, rattle them off. How many? Uh, uh, Tampa over. Okay. Carolina, Arizona getting the one, and the Saints getting the one. So Tampa over, Carolina, Arizona plus one, and the Saints plus one. You got it. Perfect. Four plays for Mike, two for me, two for Monique. Hopefully we can make some money for you this week. And Mike, when we meet next week, we're going to know who won the World Series. So good luck to the Red Sox. I need some Dodger victories right now. Yep, you sure do, my friend. Well, I want to see a really good series. I want to see a well-played series. I want to see this uh, thing, you know, uh, just be competitive. So good luck to Dodger fans out there. Enjoy your sports weekend, everyone. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us this week for the Mike Abadir Show. Please tune in again next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another show with Mike and his co-host, Gino Bacola, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Have a great week.